Blog Talk Radio. And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you. K-I-R-P Radio!
K-I-R-P Radio! Good evening. You're listening to the K-I-R-P Radio Show. This is last Friday night of the month. To guest host, Rocco P. Once again, I'd like to thank Pudgy Putno for the opportunity to use his platform at least once a month. Tonight's topic is President Trump and regime regime change in Venezuela. Donald J. Trump and regime change in Venezuela. Regime change has long been the U.S. policy for Venezuela. Trump is following the neocon or neoconservative playbook when he announced the United States would no longer recognize Nicolas Maduro as president of Venezuela and would recognize the head of its National Assembly, Jose Guaido, as president. With the U.S.-backed coup help Venezuela, and as I will explain, there is no doubt the United States would like to stage a coup, uh, coup d'etat. They'd like to overthrow. Uh, they would like to overthrow Maduro in Venezuela. Uh, who is working uh, in the U.S. and with the U.S. to ask Maduro? Uh, phone will be open tonight. Six one nine six three eight eight five five nine. Six one nine six three eight eight five five nine. If you do call, I will get you on. When we talk about uh, geopolitics, uh, particularly from a U.S. perspective, obviously I'm, I'm uh, I am an American, North American in particular, U.S. citizen. And I'd say first and foremost, uh, before being a U.S. citizen, I'm a North Carolina citizen. But I would get into states, uh, states' rights, and the origin. The identity of how the United States was uh, was intended to operate it was supposed to operate initially as a freely associated group of states. Uh, that's why it was called the United States. The essence, the essence of it was they were really separate little states or countries. But that has uh, the self-identity of the U.S. has morphed. It's changed. It's unfortunately been uh, revised, particularly after uh, the war between the states of the world, northern aggression when uh, President Lincoln decided in violation of the Constitution that states couldn't voluntarily leave the Union. And then uh, so many died after that. Yeah, history was really rewritten. And that's the way it always works. The, the victors uh, rewrite history. I always remember one summer when I was working 
with a fellow from uh, the United Kingdom. He was a British law student in the States. And uh, we, we talked about a lot of things. And the, uh, the subject of the, uh, the American Revolution came up. I just asked him, I said, how, how's that covered in, uh, in England? He goes, they don't even mention it in our history books. They just gloss it over. Uh, the victors always write history. So that's why most people listening, when I said in passing, I would consider myself a North Carolinian before a U.S. citizen or a citizen of North Carolina before a U.S. citizen. Um, most, if not many, people would probably be uh, confused, if not upset, by that assertion. But that's the way the U.S. was intended to work. There's supposed to be a free association of states. And, of course, that changed when... Uh, after President Lincoln decided to invade the states that decided to leave. It would be like the Civil War, and I should do I should, I should do a few shows in the Civil War. It would be like if you had two people or a group of people that decided to voluntarily come together and run a business. They wrote a charter, and in the charter or, or the bylaws of the, uh, of the business, they basically said it was uh, just as it was freely – the business was freely uh, initiated, or the corporation, if you want to use a modern word, was uh, initiated by the free association of so many individuals, let's say five, any individual could leave the corporation at any given time. They wouldn't be coerced to continue. And then on any given day, if then two or three individuals decide to leave the corporation, the other parties then wouldn't let them leave and respond, well, if you, if you decide to leave this venture, you know, we're going to use force and kill you. And that's, in essence, is what the Civil War was. It was, it was basically kind of Abraham Lincoln <coughs> using the power of the Union to illegally, I say illegal, it wasn't constitutional, to tell states they couldn't leave. So again, the, the revision of that is that this all, it was all about slavery. But remember from their historical context, apart from the oppressive taxes on the South, slavery had been tabled. Okay, in other words, when they formed the United States, there was open talk about abolishing slavery then. It didn't happen. All right? So for on one given day, for then Lincoln to say, well, if and they were moving towards, towards an, abolitional, an abolitional viewpoint. They were moving towards the point of making slavery illegal throughout the entire United States. Southern states basically preemptively said, well, you know, we'll just leave. We talked about slavery, too. It wasn't like today, you know, most people have a car. The, the idea in popular culture is like, you know, everyone, everyone who was white had a slave. And we're talking 1% or so or less. It's a tiny amount. Okay, but obviously, you know, there was slavery. And the other fact, of course, being that it was blacks that sold blacks into slavery and, you know, whites profited from it, not to mention the history of white slavery, which is a completely other subject, which is very true, which is also ignored by the cultural Marxist or those who are intoxicated with political correctness or identity politics. In any case, long story short, I say the, the Civil War was completely legal because it was unconstitutional. Constitution is the highest law of the land. Any law enacted in violation of the Constitution would then ultimately be illegal, even if it's enforced through guns, which is the case with uh, the war between the states, the war of northern aggression. The easiest way to see that that was the case is this. Okay, you could pick up the Constitution. You could read it. You know, it won't take long. 
penny pound the size of the fonts and all, you know, six, seven, twelve pages. Read the Constitution. And there's nothing that says a state can never leave. And it gets better than that. During during the time of the war between the states or the war of northern aggression, they talked about amending the Constitution when all the southern states were gone while that happened to make uh, secession illegal. But they didn't. I think the reason they didn't is because they knew historically if people read that, it would have been extremely obvious that the war was then illegal. Okay? In the revisionist view, it's, it's as if Lincoln was moral and he wasn't. He did tend slavery, and you know, that, that was an excuse. That wasn't the case. Lincoln himself said if he could have kept the Union together without freeing any slaves, he would have done it. And we can also look at things like the Emancipation Proclamation, which didn't affect any slaves in the South, uh, and what didn't affect any, slave, any freed slaves in the North. So it allegedly it would affect slaves in the South, and at the time the Union didn't control them. So that was, that was a PR stunt, uh, in all honesty. But get, getting back to the Constitution, it's very easy to see. At the conclusion, after after the Union forces were helped by you know, uh, you know very very nasty uh, you know Prussian mercenaries and others destroyed the South, and they did barbaric things like you know burn crops, you know to force the South into subjection, into subjugation. But after after the war was over, at gunpoint, literally, not only in Raleigh, at you know the capital of North Carolina, but in in the other previously Confederate states, at gunpoint. They were forced to amend their state constitutions. And what was the what was the amendment that was forced at gunpoint? What what the Union troops insist that the Southern states did? They insisted that they amend their state constitution, say they couldn't secede. Why did they do that? Because there's nothing in the federal constitution. Then there isn't anything in the federal constitution now that says a state can never leave. So if you have this view of the Union, you have post. The war of northern aggression is like the roach motel, you know, roaches check in, but they don't check out. You know, that's just a complete bastardization and misrepresentation and, you know, terrible ignorance of what the Constitution clearly says then, what clearly still says now. It says nothing that a state can ever leave. Getting back to Trump and Venezuela, uh, when we talk about the geopolitics, remember, it's never, don't make it about personality, Okay. I mentioned Trump's name because he does happen to be the uh, you know, chief executive officer of the United States government, uh, the United States corporation. So uh, Trump is the president, uh, but don't get caught up in personalities. Okay, the basic position of the United States uh, towards you know, Central and South America has been the same you know, for quite some time. You could say you know, close to 100 years regardless of which party controls the White House, regardless of which party controls the Senate. Okay, Remember, the, the, the way the two parties work is that the rhetoric is different. You know, the, the policies are the same. Okay, you see our board security. Listen, listen to the show I did uh, on, on the wall. Okay, You can see Trump it doesn't care about the wall. Okay, In other words, he does not. He cares about the wall because the wall is a distraction. If he clearly wanted... To end illegal immigration, it's very easy to do at little or no cost. You pass, you pass two laws. Number one, you can't be in the United States and open a bank account or wire transfer funds without having two documents. You need a passport if you're if you're an expat in the United States, and you need a visa. Case closed. It's over. It's done. Illegals would then peacefully self-deport. 
Okay, they know the billions of dollars that illegal aliens wire from that other country is complete and total fraud, and they know there's 75 Mexican cons- Mexican consulates in the United States that issue the matricula consulate card that is then accepted by banks. The matricula consulate card means nothing in Mexico; it should mean nothing in the states. They could change that. Uh, the U.S. Could, could shut down those consulates, and again, they could basically pass that law saying. The matricular consular card means nothing. Doesn't prove that you're that you're legally in the United States as as a Mexican citizen. Doesn't mean that. Two documents, passport, and visa. It's over. It's done. But people get incensed. People react emotionally. They start talking about a wall. Yeah, it, it could be helpful to reinforce certain points on the border. There's no doubt. But <laughs> that's a minor issue. It really is. Uh, it really is. If you want to stop it. Okay, cut off the money, and you cut off the money by simply passing a federal law saying you need two documents to open up a bank account, you need two documents to wire transfer funds out of the states if you're an expat here in the United States as a foreign national. It's over. It's not that easy. Okay. But people get caught up in the emotions, and they want to build a wall, which is going to cost, oh, estimates upwards of, you know, well over $20 billion. So, you know, Trump... Trump, Trump is Trump's a liar. Okay, if you didn't realize that, uh, Trump's a liar. He had promised repeatedly he'd build a wall. Mexico would pay for it. Uh, the wall is not being built. Mexico is not going to pay for it. If you build 250 miles of wall, that's not a wall on the border that he had promised. And there's still no way planned, even a suggestion anymore. Mexico is going to pay for it. Okay. Uh, it's, it's just sad how much Trump has lied, like Obama. Uh, like George uh, H., like George W. Bush, like his father H. W. Bush, like William Gershon Clinton, and so on and so on and so on. So you get back, you get back to South America as well. The U.S. has sought for many, many years. The policy has been to destabilize nations that will be will be seen as a threat to U.S. interest. We say U.S. interest again. The idea of corporations, to a large degree dictating what would be advantageous to the U.S., right? Now, the U.S. has had Venezuela in the crosshairs, okay, because the Hugo Chavez, who died of an interesting type of cancer. I'm not going to get into that tonight. You can do some research on that, but he died. He died to an, for an interesting disease, okay? If you've ever listened to me, you know I would never support socialism, okay? That, you know, that's why I'm against Obamacare. You know, that's why I'm against uh, Social Security. That's why I'm against government schools. I'm against socialism, okay? I'm completely, I'm completely against it. In the United States now, we have a fascist regime where they continue, the government continues to take over more of the private sector bit by bit. And remember, the Republicans didn't get rid of Obamacare. But Hugo Chavez, you could argue that he, uh, he did use the money in the country to help the people. So one thing, one thing I'm going to stress tonight as we look at the facts, what's going on with the U.S. and Venezuela is this. The propaganda is that, yeah, things are so horrible in Venezuela. And, yeah, you can talk about how the U.S. is involved with that as far as sanctions. But things are so horrible. So the United States allegedly cares about the people, and they're going to care so much that they'll overthrow the government. And then it becomes more ludicrous, like in Syria. Say, well, then the U.S. has to help overthrow it with violence. You, know, you could look at what the U.S. did 
in Afghanistan, what the U.S. did in Iraq, what happened with the in uh, in Libya, the U.S. bombed it. We got a caller here. Good evening. You are on the air. May I have your name and the state you're from? It's Pianchi. How you doing? Pretty good. Good to hear from you. What's going on? You know, I'm going to tell you something about those South American countries. They all belong to the, to the Organization of American States, which is basically... OAS? Uh, yeah, the OAS is their UN. Why don't they take <laughs> care of that problem? <laughs> huh? I'm going to let you talk because I think I, I think that's a rhetorical question. I think you got something to say about that. <laughs> well, no kidding. That's their problem. Now I tell you what. Now in uh, there was a problem in uh, one island country down there. I can't think of the name of it. It started with a V. Where they was having drug problems, and uh, there, along with their military, they. Uh, they handled that cartel problem. Drugs coming out of Colombia through their country, then was headed to other parts of the world, and they solved their problem. They didn't need no U.S. nobody else. But the, the OOS, the Organization of American States, consists of about 28 countries. By the way, which does include the U.S. and France and Britain. But you got 25 countries. They should be able to handle the problem with Venezuela. Any other country down in South America, Ortega there in Nicaragua, they should be able to put a contingent together and get him out of there as he's abusing the rights of the people. U.S. shouldn't have to have anything to do with that. And, you know, I hear people say, well, the U.S. is going in there stealing oil. Well, that's American companies. That's not the United States government. Nancy Pelosi ain't pumping oil or drilling for oil. And any any company here in the U.S. involved in that? I mean, right? Would you agree? Well, to, to an extent, I mean, it's it's. I mean, you go back to you know, when I say fifty or hundred years, of U.S. policy is largely dictated by the big companies. I mean, you go back. Here's a great example. Okay, even though the government wouldn't pump the oil, it's just like in the states, they'd say, okay, well. Uh, Obamacare, you know, the government's not running health care, but then they set these rules, so they're moving, moving towards it. In Venezuela now, it's owned by the government. So if the U.S. wanted to say, or any other country for that matter, would say, okay, within your structure, could we come in, you know, build some refineries or whatever? You know, Venezuela would take the position at this point. No, you know, we, we you know, it's state-controlled, we're fine. But the point is, what has the U.S. done for a very, very long time? A great quick read is a book called War's Racket, Smedley Butler. I never learned about this in uh, never learned about this in high school or college when I took American history. Smedley Butler was probably the most one of the most, if not still the most decorated Marines in US history. So he fought he fought in South America, fought in World War One. And after seeing what had happened, he was absolutely convinced US military power was being used at the behest to, to help corporate interests. And so he wrote that book, Wars Iraq, and he ran for governor of Pennsylvania and didn't win. But the policy has always been, I mean, it's not that simple. That's just, that's like a leftist view. They just say, okay, it's just about the all. It's more than that. I mean, it's about influence. But when we get back to the thing you said about the people and the OIS, it's really simple. It's self-determination. In other words, if, if the people of Venezuela would want to stage a coup, 
that's fine. In other words, I don't think I don't think it's needed, but if they want to, that's fine. But what's going on? And you know, we'll we'll explore this later on. You know, in the short night, I'll get this, I'll get some stats. I'll get some facts. The U.S. has been playing this Pence, uh, uh, this guy, <laughs> this guy Jose. If I'm saying it right, Gaido. He was in the states before he declared himself president. He's had support of only one military leader. It's not widespread. So the U.S. is trying to create this illusion that, oh, well, you know, there's this uprising. They've been working with him. Pence declared him declared him the legitimate leader uh, either immediately or he, he like, like a day beforehand. So it's all August. The same thing had happened if you followed the Ukraine. The U.S. The US had spent $5 billion in the Ukraine. And you talk about democracy. Then they supported a leader who was a far-right guy really a Nazi-type guy literally in Ukraine, and he wasn't even democratically elected. So they keep on lying to the U.S. public you know, for 50 to 100 years, saying, well, if the U.S. intervenes, it's humanitarian, it's for democracy. I'm not saying it's just for the all by any stretch of the imagination. I think that's one angle. But the U.S. continues to want to overthrow governments. It has nothing to do with the people, and it doesn't help the people. I think mean, that's my point. Well, you the, know, US, you... Not only the U.S. should stay out. <laughs> You're absolutely right. They overdrew Yanatovich yeah. in the Ukraine. Yeah. And, yeah. But that's it. You know, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> yeah, he was. I'm going to tell you something. If I had my choice of where to be, I'm glad I'm where I am. Because uh, apparently this that's country is kicking everybody else's butt. This country is kicking everybody else's butt. I'm trying to make it better. You listen to me. You know what I do on the radio. I'm trying to educate people to make it better. But the reality is, this stuff, you know, the human expressions, all that goes around, that comes around. The biblical expression would be, you reap what you sow. And the yeah. U.S., I'll give you an example. In Chile, if you're familiar with Chile, Chile had a leftist leader. Okay, they had, they had a guy, Salvador Allende. And again, I won't support socialism. They went in with the CIA, they deposed them, and then they installed, they installed Pinochet. Okay. When they installed Pinochet, the CIA helped, helped, helped Pinochet then basically set up secret police. The same thing happened with Iran when uh, the Shah was installed, and people started to disappear. Now, in the U.S., yeah, the U.S. is kick boss, but a lot of Americans think, and I, I'm, I, and I don't know if you do, that, hey, it could never happen in the U.S. In other words, we could never get to the point whereby people, people would start to disappear because they would have unpopular political views. I don't know how close we are to that. I don't want to. I don't want to fearmonger. I wouldn't want to get anyone afraid. But I mean, just see what's going on in terms of political discourse. Facebook and all these government-funded platforms, you know, Twitter and stuff. They just ban people. Like you, you may be familiar with the site CopLock. They just get rid of CopLock. It exposes legitimate problems. Please. They get rid of. They get rid of another site. Photography is not crime. Does the same thing like CopLock. Exposes problems with police. So. How long is it going to be? They get rid of activist posts. They get rid of anti-media. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you something. You talk about about problems with the police. And I'm African-American. Blacks already had the power to control their police in the majority of the communities that they're in. They're the main population. If they control the ballot box, the politicians control police. They're employees. I mean, it's that it's Ferguson is set up like that. Of course. So, no, of I don't want to see things change. Like some of these new no. politicians that's coming along, the AOCs and that Talib uh, that, uh, from Minnesota, then you have another one from Michigan coming up with all these wild ideas. 
I'm happy that Donald Trump got elected for another reason, because it's starting to bring out in people where you can see exactly what's going on in their mindset, where before they kept it contained. I'm, they, they want us divided. It goes back to what I'm saying is that if we had the point, you know, we have Facebook and Twitter, and when, they're, when they're shutting down, when they're shutting down really alternative media or you know, new media sites, how, I don't know how close we are to the point where they're just going to say, look, where they paint it as left or right, they'll just say, okay, someone says something that is disagreeable, will people start to disappear? So I'm just saying the U.S. has done this. The U.S. did this with the CIA in the Shah of Iran. They set up secret police. People disappeared. People died. They did it after they deposed the Allende with the CIA. People died. So, again, there's a real bad pattern. The you US think that would happen under Trump? For, I'm not saying under Trump directly. I, I'm, I'm not a prophet or some of a prophet. I'm just saying the political climate, when you say people talk in their minds, the political climate is such that they want us divided. Okay, yeah, yeah. They want they want this left versus right thing. When obviously the Republicans didn't get rid of Obamacare, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Trump has has not delivered on any of his promises. Maybe trade with China. Well, well wait a minute. That, now he have delivered on his promises in his campaign because I supported and voted for Donald Trump, and that's one of the reasons I like the man because he does stick to what he says he's going to do. But uh, what, go ahead. What, what has he delivered on? Uh, what has he delivered on? Except maybe China. Well, he's, he, he, he delivered on? on. He he said he's going he's going to make taxes tax reform. He's working on immigration reform. These trade deals, tariffs. In my industry, tariffs works very well. Like I said, we could debate tariffs. But I mean, you get into immigration. I've done a couple of shows. What is tariffs? Uh, what is tariffs designed to do? Tariffs is designed to put. A extra cost on imported goods so that they don't undercut local produced goods. That's what they're for. Right. I mean, it, right. It, you got a high standard of living in the United States, say $20 an hour, and you make. Well, you can't compete with a country where it don't cost nowhere near as much to live for, for whatever the reason, and they're paying, say, $5 an hour. Well, you can't compete with that. So they have to put worth fifteen dollars worth an hour worth of tariffs on it in order to bring it up where Americans won't leave their local production and go to foreign production. That's what it's designed for. Right. I, I'm not. Some some people with free trade would say tariffs are always wrong. I, I don't think they're always wrong. I think it could work. One of the few things that Trump said that made sense is like he said, look, when, with the whole China deal, he said either eliminate all trade barriers between both countries. If not, then we'll have tariffs. And the same thing happened years ago with Japan with steel. Japan would dump steel. In other words, they would sell steel lower in our market than they would in Japan, which obviously was wrong. But the point is this. I'm just saying, when you look at immigration, Trump, Trump has, I mean, he's totally lied to us. The, the, the wall did not get built immediately. Uh, it's going to take over well, $20 no, billion. Well, no, it built immediately. You know why? Come on now, let's be truthful. Remember who you're talking to here. Yeah. <laughs> no, happened? it didn't get built the immediately. Why? Be- yeah, because them damn Republicans, once they had a ball sitting in their lap, they didn't know if I put a naked woman in your lap, would you know what to do with her? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not married, so I hope I'd run away. <laughs> well, look, he put the ball in those Republicans' laps, and they fumbled it like it was a hot potato. That goes to show you the dedication that lies in some of these lying politicians. They lie. Well, right. 
Right. I'm just saying Trump ran and almost every Republican, whether it was an incumbent or a new person, and people knew they all ran on on repealing Obamacare. And you had you had uh, the one guy from Ohio, I forget his name. Uh, you, uh, you had a that said, okay, we'll have a simple not, – not, not the bad guy. is, is you know, one of the Freedom Caucus guys, I forget his name, and uh, Jordan, I think. And they basically came with a simple bill and they said, look – you want to debate how, how we're going to get rid of it. So they use that as an excuse why they couldn't get rid of it. And they, they wanted to have a bill that was like two sentences. It just says, we're, we're just going to go back to where it was before Obamacare, and then we'll have a new plan in a year. And they, they punted on it. So I'm just saying, and even some of them admitted when they said, okay, why did you vote in whole or in part to repeal Obamacare when you knew, when, you, when Obama was in office and you knew he'd read it? And some of them even had the audacity, they were honest enough to just say, well, now it really matters, so it's different. But it, the, the whole thing with immigration, Trump said there'd be no amnesty. He's offered more amnesty to the dreamers than Yeah, for, 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 uh, for three years or something like that. Yeah, not forever. You know that's messed up. And uh, Obamacare is messed up, too. Anytime... Anytime you put government money in anything, look at college costs. Prices go up high as hell. Of course. Of course. No, no, you preach, you I, preach to the choir, obviously. Anytime the government I read it by my own insurance. Market, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anytime the government intervenes, you basically prices go up and the quality goes down. But, yeah, Trump, as far as what's going to happen here, I don't know. But I'm just saying the U.S. has used the CIA abroad to basically quash, you know, to change governments and then basically make people disappear. Now, here with technology, right now, you don't need people to disappear. It's very easy. You can just shut off their cards because we're almost cashless. And if someone didn't have access to their bank accounts, how could, you, how could you live? But, hey, we're in a real bad way because they have, they have all these people believing that the Republicans and Democrats are different. And obviously, yeah, there's a lot of people that – yeah. Well, there are some side. differences in it. There are some dis- differences well, in the rhetoric, You just yeah. have to know in how the, to recognize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the rhetoric, well, I mean, the when Nancy Pelosi told Trump, got yeah, when Nancy Pelosi told Trump that uh, we're gonna go after your guns, that there shows you that there's some difference. But uh, right. no, well, the right. thing and is, she says she says that again to keep us divided. But did you see who Trump appointed this new AG? This guy believes in gun control. I mean, he's a nightmare. He's a nightmare. <laughs> This guy, you know, here at Ruby Ridge. Well, I don't know. Unless you go into a laboratory and make the people that you want out of androids and give them all the qualities that they're supposed to have, you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, and basically it's like going to a buffet. You take some of this, leave that. Take that, leave this. (laughs) Uh, I take a more negative view of Trump. I mean, he's surrounded himself with swamp, swamp creatures from day one, Pence. Pence's, Pence's completely. He's a total sellout. All, all these guys. I mean, his first, his first chief of staff was a former RMC chairman, Rance Priebus. I mean, all these people. Well, yeah, I can understand him making some mistakes because he he said himself it's been a learning period. But I believe the man is dedicated. And uh, I tell you what, I've experienced a whole lot of them, and I've never seen one that sticks to his word like this one does. That there is enough for me. And I hear black folk. I mean, don't pay no attention to what the average black person say. They are totally, totally lost when it comes down to politics. And the ones that know they can't say nothing because they're scared of getting fried. 
it's not just black people, man. I mean, you, you have you obviously have white people who still vote and left versus Yeah, right. you got I some mean, white folks that's no one, crazy as hell. No, no, no one in no one in the states think about this as far as as far as the political system, how they have us, how they got us basically against the wall. No one really votes for anyone. Everyone votes against someone. No one really believes. Yeah, anyone. you're right. They but you know, you talk people. about black and whites. It's one thing that you can expect out of a conversation with a white person. You won't start off with border control and end up talking about who came over here during slavery. <laughs> What's up? Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. There's no. There's a lot. Of the identity Wait politics. A no, you, there's no doubt. The identity politics you, has has ripped a lot of people apart. I use I use this example. Okay, this is just an anecdote. I work 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 with uh, work with a black young lady. And we were talking about the, uh, you know, the partial government shutdown, and she wasn't joking. And she told me she saw a report on TV that people that weren't getting paid were all colored people. And she believed it. She said, well, look, wait a minute. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't debate her. I didn't debate her. I told a guy, I said, the ones that were not getting paid, they're going to get their checks. And you had banks that would give them loans based on what they was going to get paid. Then you know what this fool asked me? What about this credit score? <laughs> the lien is going to be yeah. against your check that you're going to receive. You got shit to do about no credit score, and they're not charging you interest. So, no, these people are ignorant, man. I really think something's wrong with them. I damn well, near they wish they, they had to count it. before they could vote. We didn't get here overnight. We're not going to get out overnight. But a big problem is government schools because you know when the government you right. education, yeah, you absolutely right. I'm for school choice. Reality. Trump's for school choice too. <laughs> Trump, only I'm, only I'm, president. I'm an abolitionist. Yeah, I'm an abolitionist. And look at that. Uh, we have to abolish abolish all federal public schools. <laughs> look at that Cortez saying that the Southern Wall is like the Berlin Wall. How stupid can you get? <laughs> then the woman she, she, she won with 16,000 votes. She won with 16,000 votes, and she done done away with 25,000 jobs. Right. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what she's all about, how she helps the system, okay? The system, the system and, you know, my point of view, you know, we don't completely agree that the two parties are basically, they have the same agenda with different rhetoric. They appeal to their base, but the same decisions are made in terms of spending, the same decisions are made in terms of foreign policy. So she, she, this, is, this is her purpose in the system. Her purpose is to appear extreme as both parties continue to move towards collectivist position. Again, the, the Republicans refuse to get rid of Obamacare which eventually they, they want a single-payer system. They won't say it, but you know, I've done the research. It's all out there. So she's a great poster child. So any, everyone can say Democrats and Republicans are, we're not her, when they're all moving towards the same position slowly. But she, she could be the poster child for what's allegedly an extremist. I mean, But Trump wants to get, a, get rid of – Trump wants to get rid of Obamacare. So let, let, we can we can agree on that and set this over here in the corner of the table. He wants to get I, rid I, of it. No, now he that, can't do it by itself, but he did. He did do one thing. He told the IRS to stop uh, rejecting uh, tax returns because they were not uh, implemented with the mandate no longer. Well, now if yeah. you don't have a mandate, those that want it will get it. 
and those who don't want it won't but, get it. I'm a, I, I agree with that. The bill, the bill that they had that didn't pass, I'm glad it didn't pass to, to allegedly get rid of Obamacare, said this. It got rid of the mandate, but it said something ridiculous like every year that you didn't have health insurance, then you, you wouldn't have to pay the government. You'd have to pay the private insurance company what you would have had to pay if you were insured. So let's say you, you, for three years you didn't have coverage, then once you start getting coverage, you'd owe them three years of premiums. That was horrible. Yeah, but how are they going to enforce that? All big government. Yeah, but you're right. They are. They but how the hell are you going to enforce that? Yeah, they you can't do, enforce that. They can do whatever they want. It. They do it yeah. all the time. Well, they, they can just deny you coverage. They, they say, you give us this check or you're not covered then. So, I mean, I, I would love to see Trump to be real, but I see no evidence he's real personally. I mean, like this whole thing with Venezuela, I mean, he, he lobs a cruise missile into Syria, and then the U.S. admits that it, was not, it wasn't the Syrian government that used that gas. I mean, that was twice the U.S. admitted after the fact. So I just see Trump doing the same stuff. It's just what happened in Washington. It's always the same form, fit, or function. It's just a different suit. I mean, that's all I see. Then you got people that difference. want a uh... – then you got these idiots that want a uh, what kind of universal income? All right, let me tell you this. Suppose I give you two thousand dollars. Suppose I give you two thousand dollars every month. Well, suppose you owe somebody. They're gonna deduct that automatically. Of course. Now you're down to five hundred dollars a month. The simple way to fight that is you start out philosophically, but then you drill down to, to, to the details is this. What the government gives, the government can take away. I mean, I work, I work with some people. You probably do too. I work with some people that make good money, and they mm-hmm. basically keep their bills high enough so that they can get food stamps. They're insane. They're absolutely well, – I don't know. Why would you want to accept something? Like that. Man, I do. I guess they can I, I work do. with them. I mean, why, why would you put yourself in a position to be dependent upon government? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, man, I'm going to let you get back to your show. I okay. just wanted to throw that Thanks. in there. Thanks for calling, man. Thanks. I'll talk Thanks. to you later. Yeah. Call next month. T- take care. Take care. Listen to the KRP radio show last Friday night of the month with Rocco P. I'm going to take a break, and then we're going to talk about Elliot Abrams. I'm going to talk about Elliot Abrams and the coup that the U.S. is attempting to, uh, to complete in Venezuela. You listen to KRP radio show last Friday night of the month. To guest host, Rocco P.
K-I-R-P Elliot Abrams is a war criminal. Yes, he is. He is a war criminal. And this is who Donald J. Trump appointed to take care of the situation in Venezuela. That's who Donald Trump appointed. It's very interesting. We see, we see a Muslim representative in the House of Representatives, Ilhan Omar, had an excellent confrontation with Elliot Abrams at a House Foreign Affairs Foreign Affairs hearing. I'm going to get to that video. I'm going to set that up. There was a uh, a web. There was a a paper that was written, an article that Caitlin Johnson, I believe it was Caitlin Johnson, uh, wrote about that. Yes, it was Caitlin Johnstone. Caitlin Johnstone. I'm sorry. You can check out her site. She's got a lot of good stuff. Ellen Omar smacks down Elliot Abrams in front of everyone. Days after being smashed with a vicious establishment smear campaign to paint her as an anti-Semite for accurately criticizing APAC, Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar is already back on the horse, aggressively disrupting the establishment narrative matrix that rules her work so hard to construct for us. Okay. Now, when I talk about uh, Ilhan Omar, understand this. The, the quote, you know, you're going to hear in the video, you know, she says some great things. She was reading the script, but it was well-researched. Um, I don't know what her motives are, okay? I do know when I talk about left and right, you see the insanity of, of the left in that Muslims are infiltrating the, the Democratic Party. And it's the same party that wants to imagine that, you know, all men are rapists or potential rapists, and there's this violence against women, uh, they're using identity politics, which is disgusting to an extreme, and they supposedly care about women, and yet it's being infested slowly but surely with Muslims. So uh, if you don't know, uh, Islam doesn't have a pretty good track record with women's rights. 
and in states, and not, obviously not all Muslims, would support Sharia. You have states like the largest Muslim country in the world, like Indonesia. Uh, there's virtually no terrorism, incidentally. So by no by no stretch of the imagination would I misrepresent uh, all Muslims or even all Islamic nations by saying that they're all prone to terrorism. But I'm saying this when it gets down to one of those issues, you know, the devout, this uh, Wahhabistic Islam, like you see in Saudi Arabia, if you take the Quran at face value, you can have up to four wives, right? Polygamy. Not a good idea. You go back to Muhammad himself, who took a, one of his wives at six years old, but, a, but supposedly did not consummate the marriage until she was nine. This is, these are truths that Muslims have to face. And a lot of times, I mean, when a Christian debates a Muslim, Muslims won't discuss the Quran. They just want to basically uh, try and uh, misrepresent the Bible and criticize it. But by no stretch of the imagination, uh, what I say, I don't know why uh, Illinois Omar, I don't, I don't know where she is on the map as far as a lot of these issues. I'm just saying it, it's just, it shows the insanity of the left that the Democratic Party is infested with these Muslims. But give her credit, like anyone else knows, give her credit where credit is due when she confronted Elliot Abrams. Elliot Abrams is a monster it's from Caitlin Johnson's piece. The atrocities that he has facilitated covered up and whitewashed in whitewashed Panama, El Salvador, Gaza, Guatemala, Nicaragua, and Iraq utterly unforgivable. And the fact that he's, he's been appointed a special envoy to Venezuela by the Trump administration completely invalidates the U.S. government's Venezuelan narrative but all by itself. Even without the blatant lies, the known oil agendas, the CIA ops, and now the evidence of U.S. arms smuggling to right-wing militias, and America's extensive history of utterly disastrous regime change intervention, the fact that this administration would appoint such a ghoulish individual to spearhead as Venezuela inter- interventionism alone is enough to show you that the U.S. government has nothing but malevolent intentions for that nation. So I'm going to go to that video now, and then we'll get back to, uh, we'll get back to Caitlin Johnstone's piece. This, uh, you can find this video at the Washington Free Beacon. If you do a YouTube search, Ilan Omar, just go Ilan, I-L-H-N, Omar, and Elliot Abrams have fierce changes. Ilan Omar and Elliot Abrams, if you want to see this again, uh, on your own. And this was published on February 13th. Thank you, Chairman. Um, Thank you all for being here, and thank you for your uh, testimonies. Mr. Adams, in 1991, you pleaded guilty to two counts of withholding information from Congress regarding your involvement in the Iran Kortra affair, for which you were later pardoned by President George H.W. Bush. I fail to understand uh, why members of this committee or the American people should find any testimony that you give uh, today to be truthful. If I can respond to that. Uh, um, it wasn't a question. I, On I was that, was not, that was not a question. I, would, that was sir, the, I, I reserved the right I'm to my sorry. time. It is not. It is not right. That was not a question. Can attack on February eighth. Who is not permitted to reply? That that was not a question. Thank you for your participation. On February eighth, nineteen eighty-two, you testified before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee 
about U.S. policy in El Salvador. In that hearing, you dismissed as communist propaganda report about the massacre of El Mosote, in which more than 800 civilians, including children as young as two years old, were brutally murdered by U.S. trained troops. During that massacre, some of those troops bragged about raping a 12-year-old girl before they killed them, girls before they killed them. You later said that the U.S. policy in El Salvador was a fabulous achievement. Yes or no, do you still think so? From the day that President Duarte was elected in a free election to this day, El Salvador has been a democracy. That's a fabulous achievement. Yes or no, do you think that massacre was a fabulous achievement that happened under our watch? That is a ridiculous question. And I yes or no? No. I, I, will, sorry, Mr. I will take that as a yes. I am not going to respond to that kind of personal attack, which is not a question. Yes or no, would you support an armed faction within Venezuela that engages in war crimes, crimes against humanity or genocide, if you believe they were serving U.S. interests, as you did in Guatemala, El Salvador, and Nicaragua? I am not going to respond to that question. I'm sorry. I don't think this entire line of questioning is meant to be real questions, and so I will not reply. Whether you, under your watch, a genocide will take place, and you will look the other way because American interests were being upheld is a fair question because the American people want to know that anytime we engage a country that we think about what our actions could be and how we believe our values are being farthered. That is my question. Will you make sure that human rights are not violated, and that we uphold international and human rights? I suppose there is a question in there, and the answer is that the entire thrust of American policy in Venezuela <clears throat> is to support the Venezuelan people's effort to restore democracy to their country. That's our policy. I don't think anybody disputes that. The question I had for you is that the interest, does the interest of the United States include protecting human rights and include protecting people against genocide? That is always the position of the United States. Thank you. I yield back my time. That was an amazing exchange to hear Elliot Abrams uh, just yeah, consistently lie. When he gets a question that would expose him, he says it wasn't a real question. He talks about democracy and establishing democracy in El Salvador. You may not have heard, but the United States isn't a democracy. We were theoretically at one time a constitutional public republic. You could say a constitutional democratic republic, but the U.S. is not a democracy. Democracy is mob rule. It's mob rule. Uh, the idea, the presupposition in Abrams uh, and Abrams' attitude there that the U.S. 
has the moral high ground in Venezuela is completely disgusting and totally fictitious. Completely disgusting, and, and it's, it's just complete fabrication, a total lie. The idea that even if a majority, let's say a majority of the Venezuelans, did want uh, did want Maduro gone, let's say they did, and they don't. That's a lie. I think the last poll said 57% support him. Even if majority wanted him out, the U.S. has no constitutional, legal, or moral authority to intervene in that country. And when you look at the track record. She went after Abrams. She didn't talk about uh, she didn't talk about what happened after Yende was deposed in Chile again, and and Pinochet was placed in. Yeah, the the economy the economy definitely improved under Pinochet, but thousands of people got killed and disappeared. But he definitely improved the economy. So he definitely did. So this idea of using the word democracy as a placebo is disgusting. I, I just hope anyone that would watch that would just see what a complete and total scum Elliot Abrams is. You say war crimes, look at his track record. You look at his track record, what he did, getting back to John Stone's piece. Okay? Uh, he would not answer questions. He said they weren't questions that would expose him. He just, he just refused to do that. That's, that's, that's completely terrible. That's, that's, that's totally terrible. That's where he comes from. Uh, going back to John Stone's piece, there's no legitimate reason for Elliot Abrams to ever find himself before a group of people who are ostensibly concerned with accountability and responsibility without being asked such questions. That didn't stop all the world's worst people from crawling out of the woodwork to his defense. So then she quotes some people that had attacked uh, that had attacked her. And to me, again, as as a uh, you know as a really as an Orthodox Bible-believing Christian, someone who would you know, use the phrase born again, it's just sad that there's people that profess to believe the same God I do in the house, and it took a Muslim woman to say what she said when those facts are on the record. You know, Elliot Abrams' record is out there for anyone to look at. Uh, going back to John Stone's piece, this is the bipartisan establishment orthodoxy that's guiding your foreign policy in America, one which claims L.A. Abrams is a saint, which claims criticism of U.S. warmongering is anti-Semitic, and which throws a bold Somali-American woman under the bus for speaking the truth after years of paying lip service to the need to get more women of color elected to the leadership of the Democratic Party. This whole Abrams incident happened, by the way, at the same time as really Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu deleted a tweet in which he accidentally acknowledged the agenda to start a war with Iran, but you probably won't see Omar commenting on this because she knows she'll be smeared as an anti-Semite for it. U.S. warmongering is the most aggressively protected part of the establishment narrative matrix because U.S. warmongering is the glue that holds the unipolar empire together. Without it, our rulers cannot rule, so you'll see imperial lackeys fiercely attacking anyone who draws attention to America's bloodbaths around the world, even if they are good servants of the empire in other areas. The difficulty for our rulers, though, is that warmongering is a very difficult thing to paint a pity, pity, pretty picture of, especially with our newfound ability to quickly share ideas and information around the globe. I mean, look at Elliot, Elliot, Elliot Abrams, seriously. Just watch him talk. That demonic grimness is the prettiest face they could find to put on the Venezuela agenda. I find that very encouraging. The reason they work so hard to manufacture our consent for warmongering agendas is because they need that consent. 
They wouldn't propagandize us so aggressively if they didn't need us all trusting them and believing their stories. So the best way to fight establishment warmongering is to circulate disbelief in their stories. Whenever you see someone like Ilhan Omar drawing attention to the gaping plot holes and agendas like regime change, intervention in Venezuela, go ahead and help draw attention to it. Thing, things are only bad because a few extremely powerful people do very bad things. The only reason powerful people get away with doing bad things is because the majority allows them to. The majority knows that the majority only allows them to because they've been propagandized to. The weakest link in the chain is the propaganda and attack there. Uh, how, how could the U.S. once again have moral authority to depose Maduro, Nicolas Maduro? How could they do that? And again, in, you look at the U.S. con. The U.S. is saying, according to the Venezuelan Constitution, this Jose Guaido guy, could, you know, declared himself who declared himself president, that he's right legally. Okay, let's say if that's even true. Apart from the fact that, you know, the majority of the people don't support him. Apart from the fact, only I believe only one prominent person in the military supports him. You go back to the U.S. Constitution. Where in the U.S. Constitution, which is the highest law of the land, does the U.S. Have, have the authority to attempt to depose other governments, either politically like they're doing now in Venezuela or militarily if things go south. And Trump is also incidentally showing you know, where he's at. He already basically has shown his true colors and said you know, military intervention wasn't off the table. This is insane. Yeah, how, how is military intervention? How, how things end up when the U.S. deposed Muammar Gaddafi in Libya? Okay, so you say, okay, you know, Gaddafi was a dictator of Saddam, right? You look at the life of the people in Libya before and after Gaddafi was deposed, okay? Not to say everything Gaddafi did was right, but do you realize right now you have a lot of people, particularly on the so-called left in this country, that live, they, they live, breathe, eat, die, sweat, and gestate upon Racism, real or imagined. Do you know in Libya they're openly trading slaves? That's after the U.S. deposed Gaddafi. See, no one, they talk about all this democracy idiocy, and it's a complete and total lie. Again, the U.S. is not a democracy. It's a democratic constitutional republic, at least it was supposed to be theoretically. Now it's more or less, it's uh, how you say it's really, it's a what would you call the U.S.? Basically, a plutocratic oligarchy with the illusion of a democratic republic. That's what you'd say it really is. But in any case, the Constitution is still in place, and there's no authority for this interventionism. But, uh, but it happens. You see, you see how the propaganda is pushing what Caitlin Johnson on left and right. Here you go to Bloomberg. Here's a Bloomberg opinion piece okay, from February 20th, a few days ago coming from left, left to center. Venezuela isn't just a failed state, it's a failure of the left. Conservatives are not wrong when they say socialism deserves some blame for the nation's collapse. Okay, this is the Bloomberg piece. Venezuela claims towards a further economic and political collapse. And again, there really is no political collapse that's concocted by the U.S. Uh, the blame game is heating up, and the U.S. Republicans are labeling, labeling the country socialist, using Venezuelan problems as a weapon against more left-leaning Democrats. Commentators on left, in contrast, argue that Venezuela is more of a failed petro state with bad leadership. 
rather than a test of socialist ideas, ideals. So who is right? If we look at government spending as a percentage of GDP, Venezuela seems far from socialism. Yeah, they go down that path. Uh, <laughs> uh, they just they want yeah the mainstream media, corporate media, repress the two media. They're pushing on left and right. They're pushing for this. They're pushing for this regime change. That's what they're pushing for. The uh, Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, go ronpaulinstitute.org, ronpaulinstitute.org. They've run a couple of good pieces, a number of good pieces about this. Here's one. This one goes, this one, this one goes, this one's called The Fake News About Humanitarian Aid in Venezuela. In recent times, the international media, including many who promised to resist the dangerous commander-in-chief Donald Trump, had been awash with stories about Nicolas Maduro blocking U.S. humanitarian aid reaching Venezuela. Maduro was said to even, even block a bridge in his desperation to starve his own people. And then they, they have a bunch of links to uh, mainstream sites, CNN, C, uh, CBC, Associated Press, BBC, NPR, ABC, Bloomberg, Guardian. A constant flow of stories such as these have served to establish a narrative of a dictator blocking a benevolent U.S. government from helping its desperate people. Something must be done. Virtually unreported in the humanitarian aid story are several inconvenient truths that contradict the official U.S. government narrative the media is so closely parroting. Firstly, the aid is not recognized as such at all. If it must qualify as aid, they must be given indiscriminately. The U.S. aid appears destined only for one Gaido, the U.S.-backed self-appointed president. The Red Cross and the United Nations have refused to help the U.S. or to recognize Trump's shipments as aid. Indeed, the U.N. has formally condemned the U.S.'s actions in Venezuela, which is rare for the U.N., my commentary, to act morally and consistently. For their part, the Venezuelan government has been very eager to accept genuine aid and is currently working with the U.N. to distribute supplies. The U.N. Human Rights Council denounced Trump's sanctions, illegal even under OAS law. Did you get that? Trump sanctions are even illegal under the Organization of American States Law, and the U.S. is part of the OAS, at least according to our last caller. Noting that they specifically target the poor and most vulnerable classes, calling on all member states to break them and even begin discussing reparations that the U.S. should pay to Venezuela. The sanctions have had a devastating effect on the country's economy, reducing its oil output by 50%, according to the opposition's own economics are. Furthermore, Trump has threatened anyone breaking the sanctions with up to, thir- with up to 30 years imprisonment. Uh, uh, that'll make Mer- America great again, Donald. One U.S. special, uh, special uh, rapporteur described the sanctions as akin to a medieval siege and declared them a crime against humanity. Thus, much of Venezuela's crisis is actually manufactured in Washington, though you would be extremely hard-pressed to understand that from mainstream coverage. Did you get that? Uh, I'll repeat that last line. Much of Venezuela's crisis economically is actually manufactured in Washington due to the sanctions, though you would be extremely hard-pressed to understand that from mainstream coverage. The appointment of the notorious Elliot Abrams should be a major red flag for anyone believing that the U.S. government's actions are benign. Abrams was responsible for organizing death squads across the region in the 1980s that carried out mass slaughters and genocide in Central America and was also prosecuted for selling arms to Iran to fund the Contra death squads. Of course, he never went to jail. No one did for Iran Contra. 
famously sending them weapons under the guise of humanitarian aid. History now repeats itself as the Venezuelan government intercepted a shipment from Miami containing assault weapons, ammunition, and military-grade radios on a Boeing 767 that had made nearly 40 round trips from the U.S. to the region this year alone. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful U.S. foreign policy? Thus, the person famously caught for sending guns under the cover of aid to Nicaragua may already be sending guns under the cover of aid to Venezuela. In short, there is more than ample reason for Venezuelans to be highly skeptical of any help the U.S. claims to be offering, especially considering the terrible harm the U.S. has wrought on its economy. The $20 million shipment of aid is a drop in the ocean in comparison to the effect of the sanctions, estimated to be tens of billions. The aid, therefore, constitutes about what Venezuela loses every eight hours due to sanctions. Did you get that? The so-called aid, therefore, constitutes, not including the guns and the bombs, the aid, therefore, constitutes about what Venezuela loses every eight hours due to the sanctions. The very obvious thing any American with a genuine desire to help the Venezuelan people would advocate is to end the illegal sanctions and begin paying reparations. Yet all this has been almost completely ignored by the mainstream media which, as I've said before, and we'll say again, is basically a mouthpiece of the duopoly left-right government system. Marching in lockstep with the Trump administration, the regime change agenda. Instead, it presents a socialist dictatorship intent on spurning good faith U.S. efforts, efforts to help the stricken people in an attempt to establish the grounds for escalation of U.S. actions in the country. In 2017, the U.S. blocked genuine Venezuelan aid to the victims of Hurricane Harmony. Harvey, if this was not seen as justification for invasion of the U.S. The final piece in this farcical puzzle is that the bridge Maduro supposedly blocked to stop and reaching the country has, in fact, never been opened, and the barriers blocking the way had been in place since at least 2016, as five minutes on Google would have shown. Yet virtually the entire media, so obsessed with fact-checking everything Donald Trump says, went along with his administration's PR stunt. You know why they did again? Because the agenda on left and right, the rhetoric's, the rhetoric's different. The agenda's the same. That's why. That it was immediately exposed as a hoax meant nothing to the media outlets in question who had not deleted or modified their stories since publication. Printing fake news about official enemies will not result in a ban from Twitter or deletion from Facebook, it seems. However, merely expressing alternative opinion has done the Venezuelan case proves the lie that the media genuinely cares about honest reporting, countering fake news, and resisting Trump. When it comes to serving an imperial agenda, all is just out the window in favor of regime change propaganda. And that was reprinted on the Ron Paul Institute.org site from the American Herald Tribune. That was written by Alan McLeod. That was a good piece. Another piece that was that they ran Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Ron Paul Institute.org was, this was uh, February 20th. First, Venezuela, now Nicaragua. Bolton says Ortega's day is numbered and people will soon be free. Uh, the U.S. is looking now towards Nicaragua. U.S. President Donald Trump's top foreign policy advisor, John Bolton. And yeah, Bol- Bolton is, Bolton's, <laughs> I wouldn't say he's as, he's not as disgusting as L.A. Abrams, but this is someone who's who's definitely intent on war. 
Okay, if Donald Trump was a non-interventionist the way he ran, he would have nothing to do with John Bolton. Again, the people Trump has surrounded himself with once again shows Trump is a fraud. It's really that simple. U.S. President Donald Trump's top top foreign policy advisor John Bolton appears dead set on resuming his decade-long standoff with Nicaraguan President Daniel Ortega, hinting that Washington-backed regime change may be in the offing. Quote, the Ortega regime has sentenced three farm leaders to 550 years in prison for their roles in protests in 2018, where Ortega's police forces reportedly killed 300 activists. As President Trump said Monday, Ortega's days are numbered, and the Nicaraguan people will soon be free. The National Security Advisor said to you, said, the National Advisor to you, President tweeted on Wednesday. Isn't that wonderful? So the U.S. allegedly has a moral high ground to do regime change in Venezuela, and now evidently they're thinking about doing regime change also in Nicaragua. Okay. Once again, there's no constitutional authority, and I would argue there is no there is no moral authority. Another piece you, you might want to check out, this is in Strategic Culture. How Christina Freeland organized Donald Trump's coup in Venezuela. Canadian Foreign Minister Christina Freeland announced that the 14 countries of the Lima Group, who had actually formed themselves under her direction into this new group on August 8, 2017, in order to overthrow, replace Venezuela's current president, Nicolas Maduro, have now been joined though she didn't say it to what extent, by the EU and by eight other individual countries. Okay. Quote, today we have been joined by our Lima Group partners from Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Guatemala, Guiana, Honduras, Panama, Paraguay, Peru, and St. Lucia. We have also been joined in our conversations with our partners from other countries for the Lima Group ministerial meeting. These include Ecuador, the European Union, France, Germany, the Netherlands, Portugal, Spain, the UK, and the United States, last but not least the U.S., who obviously spearheaded it all. She, along with U.S. President Donald Trump, had all along been the actual leaders of this international diplomatic effort to violate the Venezuelan constitutional constitution blatantly so as, to, so as to perpetuate the coup in Venezuela. Her active effort to replace Venezuela's government began with her formation of the Lima Group nearly two years ago. Okay, so when you look at the headlines, don't believe this came out of nowhere. This has been planned by the U.S. and U.S. using, uh, in this case, uh, a Canadian diplomat. I won't get into her background, which is interesting uh, how her dad was a Nazi. That's the, that's the case. Uh, let's talk about Venezuela's constitution. Okay? Venezuela's, well, Venezuela's constitution simply does not permit what U.S. President Donald Trump is demanding, which is overthrowing and replacing the elected Venezuelan president by the second line of succession. What Trump demands is comparable in Venezuela to in America removing Trump and skipping over the vice president and appointing Nancy Pelosi as America's president and also violates the Venezuelan constitution's requirement that the Supreme Judicial Tribunal, Tribunal must first approve before there can be any change of president without an election by the voters. Okay, so once again, the U.S. US government, Donald Trump administration, continues along standing U.S. foreign policy and merely lies attempting to oppose Maduro violates the U.S. Constitution and would violate the Venezuelan Constitution. Hey, but who cares if you just say it's for democracy? It's good. And hey, if you just use Elliot Abrams, who's a proven law criminal and scum who should be in prison, if not, should have been executed already if the law mattered, doesn't matter. You just use the same script, 
sometimes, like with Elliot Edwards, the same people, and you just keep on doing it over and over and over again. You've been listening to KARP Radio Show last Friday night a month with Rocco P. I will hope to be back next month, next month. And last Friday night in March will be March 29th. I may not do that show. I may have, may have a pressing engagement. But thank you again, Pudge and Mill, for the opportunity to use your platform. I will be back next month. I'm not sure what day. You've been listening to KRP Radio. Show. Have a great night. KRP Radio!